Let's pray. Father, I ask that in these next numbers of minutes, I be used as a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the reality of His historical bodily resurrection be all the more personal against our sin and for our joy because we're here this morning to the glory of the name of your eternal Son, our great Savior, Jesus from Nazareth. Amen. On this Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to pick up where we left off last time in our journey through the Gospel of Luke in this way. In the last two sermons, we have seen Jesus breaks on the scene in His ministry. And what He is doing is ushering in the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming the promised king has come bearing the kingdom. And we saw that Jesus came in a way that the first century Jews had no category for. He came in a way that was utterly unexpected by His fellow Jews. They saw in the text of the Hebrew Scripture, what we call the Old Testament, the truth that the King, the Messiah, the Son of David, would come as this heavenly figure to earth to destroy all enemies of Israel and of God like sickness, sin, Satan, and demons. That's what they're expecting. And Jesus will come again and accomplish that. But what the first century Jews, that Jesus is going to town after town, what they failed to see in their theologizing about the end time, the coming of the kingdom, were other hints in the Old Testament. Clear hints like Isaiah chapter 53, where the king will come not as a conquering hero with a sword in his hand to wipe out his enemies, but he will come as a suffering, bleeding, dying, and rising servant. The mystery of the kingdom of God that we have seen now in Luke is that Jesus' coming with the kingdom happens in two stages. And it's such good news. Because it means that the king of the universe is not merely coming to reign and conquer and rule. If that were all, that would be very bad news for every one of us. But He is coming to rule over many as their deliverer, Savior. Therefore, 
He had to come the first time in order to suffer and to die and to conquer death by His bodily resurrection. And He will come a second time in fulfillment of many other prophecies as the King from heaven coming on the clouds to totally consummate all the promises of God and wipe out sin and sickness and death forever. And now, this morning, what I want to do is say the stunning thing about Christianity, about this whole book, the Hebrew Scripture, and then the books that come after Christ's death, and resurrection. The stunning thing is that we are not only dependent upon, and it's important, actual eyewitnesses to what happened in AD 33 during that Passover week in Jerusalem, culminating on Sunday, and for another six weeks where this dead human being brain waves have ceased for a long time comes out of the grave and many people encounter Him. Oh, that is so central to Christianity. Whether you think it's true, believe it's true, where there or not is irrelevant, it either happened or didn't. But, the stunning thing about Scripture, we're not only dependent upon those looking back as eyewitnesses. We have the testimony of the prophet Isaiah. Seven hundred years before all that happened, telling about it. So what I want you to do is turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And as we read chapter 53 of Isaiah, think about this, especially if you've been hanging out with Luke, and hopefully you're feeling what Luke and what God wants us to feel. Don't, uh, don't belittle Jesus' humanity. Don't deify His humanity. His humanity is not deified. It's not mixed with divinity. He's one person, two natures. And He is divine. But that nature does not come in and mix with His human nature and make it some third one. He feels he experiences, he hurts like you in me. And we saw so far, Jesus knew the Hebrew Scripture real well. And do not think he did not internalize and memorize what we are about to read, knowing it refers to him. And maybe as I read Isaiah, we can, in a sense, just bring ourselves back as if we're hovering over Jerusalem on Passover week of A.D. 33, reading the prophet Isaiah. Us, on this side, knowing who He is and what His name is and what will happen. I will begin in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, 
And we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. And as for His generation, Uh, Who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of My people? And they made His grave with the wicked and with a rich man in His death. Although He had done no violence and there was no deceit in His mouth, yet, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, My servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And He shall bear their iniquities. And therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You can preach Easter 700 years before it happened. The coming of the promised King, the Son of David, is this servant we just read about. In Isaiah 53, we have the coming of of the kingdom of God in the person of the King. 
Now I'm going to go back through briefly and just let the points that should already be clear become very clear. Isaiah 53, referring to Jesus, is explicit about his death. Verse 7, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Verse 8, he was cut off out of the land of the living. He, he was killed. He was executed. And it was not an accident. And then in verse 9, it confirms his death by his burial. Quote, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And verse 12 repeats it. Because He, Jesus, poured out His soul to death. His death is clear. And then the purpose of His dying is made clear by Isaiah the prophet. In verse 10 is what undergirds all of it when the Holy Spirit tells us, yet it was the will of Yahweh. The personal name, the God of Israel. It was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus and to put Him to grief. No matter who you are, how long you've been a church person, or being raised in church, being a teenager, being an adult, your eternity rests on grasping and embracing God's purpose for Jesus' suffering and death. Now, I want to just point out, therefore, because Isaiah 53 is so clear about the gospel. It's all over. Not just that He died, not just that it was God's will, but then what are you doing 700 years from now when He comes? Verse 4, He says, Surely He has borne to Himself our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. In verse 5, But Jesus, what was going on was this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin, our iniquities, our rebellion. And upon Him was the punishment that brought us peace with God. And the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was stricken. Some of you saw the movie on Friday night. He was stricken for, because of, our transgressions. And, quote, He shall bear their iniquities. 
He bore the sin of many. God planned from eternity past, long before He created anything. He planned to send the second person of the Trinity to become a human being in order to become the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Not merely to model how to suffer, but so that the great God of all would impute the sins of many to His Son in His humanity and in Him punish it. And to satisfy justice. Proved by raising him from the dead. There's no more punishment against sin for all for whom Christ died. It was on the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. It was on the baby born of Mary that God's holy, perfect, righteous anger in punishment was meted out. As Isaiah tells us, the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And punished it. This is the heart of Christianity. I'm actually so... A couple weeks ago when Marcelo did that interview of me, I don't know what he's going to ask. It's on the YouTube, on the webpage. In one of those segments, he asked the question, what is... The gospel. Huh? No. Great question. Especially in our day and age of American watered down, confusing Christianity. In other words, not all the implications, but if you really get to the, the core, what is it that if you don't have that, you really are outside the bounds of genuine Christianity? Great question. And this is the answer. The center of Jesus' coming through Mary that we're seeing in Luke. The center of His mission and in His ministry and in His whole life is to be the fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet said 700 years earlier. He came. What's, what's the core? Here's why. To die. To die in our place. And to rise from the dead in that same body in a new glorious life. Just as the Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before foretold. It's there. Let's look at it. At least three times Isaiah in this passage tells us that the death of the suffering servant is going to result in a resurrection triumph. 
without using the word resurrection, but look with me. Notice verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. You see that? After He dies, according to Isaiah, for others, He's dying for others, He's a guilt offering, He will live. He will live to see His offspring. That means He will live to see those whom He has saved by His guilt offering. That's His offspring here. And He will live for a really long time because He will, after His death, prolong His days. That's just a way of saying forever and ever as the other prophecies foretell that David's son will come and reign and sit on His throne forever. This is a picture of the Messiah who was dead and now is alive victoriously forever. That's why he says, and God's will in this dead one shall prosper in his hand. Or Then again, just go on in verse 11. He describes the victory that comes after Jesus' death. Out of the anguish of his soul... He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He says, Jesus will see the result of His substitutionary And seeing it after His death, He will be satisfied. Isn't that how the Hebrew author puts it? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. He causes, the text says, many to be accounted righteous. Or another way to say it, He justifies many, which is the heart of the Gospel. That His substitutionary sacrifice has put away sin and its punishment and its guilt forever upon all who come to faith in Him. And thus, as Paul writes in Romans, we are justified or accounted righteous by Christ. And dead people do not account others righteous. He is risen. And if you're in Christ, if your faith is a genuine saving faith, 
You have by the resurrected Jesus been once for all declared, even though you're still a sinner, declared before the throne righteous. Not merely not guilty of sin, but this person is treated as a human being who lived for 36 or 37 years in perfect obedience to God without ever sinning. In other words, Jesus' life was lived for you to be put to your account forever. That's what Isaiah means. He will account a credit Many righteous. Then, verse 12. He speaks. God speaks of Him. Therefore, the Lord says, about the suffering servant, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now get it. Next line. Because He poured out His soul to death. You see the flow? Because Christ died, He's dead. Then what? Then this. I, God, will divide Him a portion with the many. And He shall divide the spoils with the strong. After he dies, he lives. He lives to divide the spoils of war as if his coming and bringing the kingdom through the Virgin Mary, living and dying, were a war fought. And there's spoils after the war. There's stuff to take. And oh, is there ever gifts that flow from the cross and the resurrection. All right, it's Isaiah. And all that stuff that we just read in Isaiah 53, for 700 years, those words are hanging around in the scrolls. Jesus is growing up in the numerous synagogues in all the towns of Israel and throughout the Roman Empire. These scrolls with these words are there. And as we're going through Luke, this is why it seems baffling at times if you just read the Gospels. The Jews of the first century did not include Isaiah 53 that we just read into their calculations of the coming Messiah. And so Jesus shows up, as we see, in His ministry, and He preaches about the coming of the kingdom, and pretty much what's going on is they're getting, not enlightened, Confused. They are bewildered. And they're going to be. I mean, even his closest disciples, the inner circle. Okay, I've been with you for a good three years now. You have seen miracle after miracle. You have come. Something, God is working in you to realize that somehow I am the Messiah, but you can't put pieces together. Okay, Peter, going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be killed. No! You're not. They had no category for 
He had to die. He had to be slaughtered. He had to become hard. Enough time happened. His brain waves have ceased. And then come alive again. And in his resurrection body, watch how Jesus puts this together. I'm going to read from Luke 24. He's with disciples. He's raised from the dead. And he says to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, in the Hebrew Scriptures, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and then all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. This, what we just read, is the historical reality. Christianity isn't about, well, a nice another religion to get people. If it works for you, makes you feel good, and He's raised in your heart, oh, wonderful. That's not the message. The message is that what I just read happened. That that baby that was born of this little girl Mary, raised in this little obscure town, of Nazareth, who was brutally tortured and crucified and really died on a cross, was a number of days after that talking with some of his disciples. And he opened up Scripture. That's the historical reality. I'm here. I am actually raised and it is the fulfillment of what was written clearly in the Hebrew prophets. That's the message. But, and there's a big but, for any of us to be saved by that message, what we need is God's action. God's grace to come and to remove the hardness of our hearts. To remove the darkness so that in the message, whether you're raised in church, kids, or you're raised in another religion, that in the hearing of the Gospel, you have the dark, blinded, callous heart removed. So that the significance of that historical message is seen not merely in your mind, but in your mind and your affections and your heart to understand that's for me. Here's where I get that. Numbers of places. I'll just show you one with Jesus speaking in His resurrected body before His ascension. I'll pick up. I'm in Luke 24. I'm going to pick up with verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, 
These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then there's a stunning statement that Luke inserts. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And Jesus went on and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. And so sovereign grace is we are continually going through the marvelous narrative of Luke. There is this theme that runs from beginning to end. Always keep it. Understand your Christianity. And that theme is that Jesus comes as the kingdom bearer. But His coming is in two stages. Two comings. And then after He ascends, and He sends the apostles, and He calls Paul, and then in the rest of the, in the letters, the understanding now is being unfolded more about what Christianity is, for instance. So Paul then writes to the Philippian church or even to us in 2011. Are you a believer? Are, are you in Christ? This is how Paul summarizes this same twofold coming of Christ. But believer, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await yeah, we're still waiting. And from it, we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And He'll do it by the power that enables Him, Jesus, even to subject all things to Himself. Now let's just stop. I'm going to come back to the body part in a minute. This resurrected Christ that we so celebrate on this Easter morning has been given all authority. But don't, don't miss this. There's a sense in which Christ has the right to rule and to subject all things, as Paul says here, to Himself just because he is God. In other words, He did not have to die and to rise in order to be sovereign, in order to be ruling and in absolute control, and to subjugate any and everything to Himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But, think about the glory. In another sense, the eternal Godhead decreed that the world of fallen, sinful humanity would be ruled by a king savingly.
that's the difference. Savingly, through one who can very personally relate to all things human. He can relate to loss and pain and suffering and temptation and that He would become, therefore, this God, one of us. Underneath all that, for the purpose to be the substitutionary sacrifice and to come up out of the grave to conquer death on behalf of the many. In other words, what Paul is saying here in Philippians, that he has all power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He means Mary's kid, the Jesus from Nazareth, this Galilean, he's the man who has Are you saved? If you are, if you have believed, the sovereign King Jesus did it. He didn't leave it to you. And if you only know or knew the depth of the tender love of what that really means. That when he stood at the trial and shut his mouth and was whipped and was slowly tortured to death, he didn't do it for you, believer, theoretically. He purposefully is your Creator, had you in mind. Not that He might save you. He will save you. Christ rose from the dead triumphant. He has Creator rights to rule. But more than that now, He has Redeemer rights to save. Christ has come. And He's come as we've seen now as He's opening up His ministry in the Gospel of Luke to usher in the rule and the reign of the Kingdom of God. Not only as God, but as the God-Man. As the resurrected Savior. This is the gospel. Paul. Marcelo should interview Paul. Paul, not the whole thing, not all Christianity, not how everything's related to it. And Paul, what's, what's the core? Here's his answer. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Hebrew Old Testament Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, to Peter. And then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. 22 years later. Although some have died. And then He appeared to His brother, James. And and then to all the apostles. That's Paul's answer. Let's be awestruck at the power of Jesus ruling as resurrected King right now, today, over the universe. Over you. After His resurrection, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. He does not speak merely as God the second person. He is only that person. He means Me, that person, in My human nature. Also, There is no higher authority in the universe than that which was bestowed upon that man coming from that town of Nazareth. Now, what we have seen, here it is, because there's pain, there's tears, there's tragedies ahead in this room. There's a lot of stuff to go through. Understand what Christianity is. He came the first time to usher in the kingdom. And we talked about what He is doing is bringing the presence and the power of His rule and His reign and it's now, it's here, it's present and it's not yet. In other words, We are clearly told that the One with all authority and power has chosen not yet to subjugate totally all His enemies. Like cancer, disease, and your mind starting to go as you get older, and sin, and death, But instead, got the core of the gospel? Okay, what's the next little shell? It is go. That during this time, which has been at least 2,000 years now, almost, the presence of the kingdom, it's here, He's reigning, and yet there's a consummated kingdom that is to come in His second coming. It's not yet. What is going on now for the last 2,000 years, is He is reigning particularly through the preaching of the Gospel in and through the church. 
Not merely individual Christians running around. The local church. The bride of Christ. And it is this way that God in His eternal wisdom purposed these last 2,000 years and this year to unfold. It is this way that He has purposed to reign and to remove the darkened blinders of the heart of many from every tongue, tribe, race, culture, and religion through the preaching of the Gospel and the community. All men will know you belong to me by the way you love each other. It is the church coming out of the world that loves, that proclaims now back into the world the gospel. And that is the presence of the kingdom ruling and reigning now. now let's get the whole picture. And then... When this present but not yet aspect, please come Lord Jesus, when God decides that time now is over, then Christ Jesus will step in again and finish the victory. That's the message. This is how Paul puts it. 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end when He delivers, that is Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For Christ For God has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. Christ who died and 2,000 years ago came back from the dead in the new glorified body is reigning right now. Very significantly. Think about Peter that night. I'll never deny you. And three times. You're one of them, aren't you? You're a Galilean. I can hear it. I don't know Jesus. Out of fear. I don't know Him. few days later, Jesus appeared to him. About 23 or 24 years later, Peter wrote to the church and said, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with Angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. He right now, and oh, does Peter know it. He right now reigns over every demon 
over Satan, over every cancer. He is in sovereign control. Do you believe in his resurrection? Will we trust him? Let's be captured. We're desperate, aren't we? Every day again, God, break my hardness of heart. Let me be captured by the truth of the gospel. By the very reality that this same Jesus who was brutally slaughtered rose triumphantly. And be captured at this. In your sin. In your sanctification. In your, if you're in touch with reality and love Christ, you should be in touch with it all the more. And how undone you are and how long, O oh Lord, have you left me with my sin. Be captivated with this. He's coming back. And that's the great hope. Don't let preachers deceive you. The hope of the gospel is not in prizes that you may get in this world. Just hear the words of Jesus as He spoke then comes a day. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather, He will gather there His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Marvel at that. Marvel that God's plan was to raise Jesus really, physically, bodily from the dead as the first fruits. His resurrection in the message of the Gospel, is very directly tied up with your resurrection one day. We just read it in Philippians with Paul. I'll read it again. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will, He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. The risen Jesus will one day take your burned ashes he will take your decomposed body, your rotten bones, and raise them from the dead. And there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more temptation. But instead, it will be like His glorious body that came out of the grave in A.D. 33. Now what exactly that looks like 
and all that we'll do and all those questions that come, we don't know a whole lot. We know some. Paul puts it this way. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. When it is sown, it is sown perishable. And what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. It will be different than what we know right now in these bodies. Somehow, this body in the future will be able to contain a sinless, perfected soul. But don't over-spiritualize it. This body will be recognizable by those you know. You will be able to eat. Listen to how Jesus said it in His resurrected body to those who knew Him. See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit, merely spiritual, non-physical, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, you got anything to eat? And they gave him something to eat. Some fish. And he took it. And he ate it. And he enjoyed it before them. That's what we will do if we belong to Christ. Do you belong to Jesus? Have you turned from your hard-hearted, natural, rebellion against Him and received the blood-bought freedom from eternal judgment and the promised hope of the resurrection. What great news the Gospel is that anybody, all people who will turn and trust this Gospel to embrace this risen Jesus personally are those people who right now, according to Paul, await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Amen. Father, as we worship right now, as we sing, our great Savior, Lord Jesus, as You are so present in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, would You show forth this authority in grace in deepening, sanctifying, saving, 
grace. Would You cause us to draw closer to You and to flee from our besetting sins and temptations even now in this room and Oh, may this authority of Your power and of Your Gospel manifest itself in the days and the weeks and the months to come in our lives in all the pain and trials that You have laid before us to the glory of Your name, to to the glory that says in us we hope not in this world, but we hope in the glorious inheritance for all who have loved the Savior who is risen, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? The song we're about to sing.